Hello and welcome to the MVR podcast, season two, episode 13. Today we're going to be talking about blaming interaction and how to interrupt it. I'm Rachel Elmer. And I'm Peter Jacob. So welcome, Peter. Another episode 13, unlucky for some. Um, <laughs> how, did, how, did, how did we get to this topic today? Well, um, it um, connects with the idea that principles and certain methods from NVR um, are applicable in a lot of contexts, you know, um, therapy, counseling, parent guidance, and so forth, but out, even outside of the usual NVR for child-to-parent abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because some of the, the, the patterns that we see, some of the kinds of interaction that we see, um, where there is child-to-parent abuse, uh, happen in, in, in so many different aspects of, of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and often, I think, in, in work with parents and around parenting, uh, we also often don't focus that much on blaming interaction between parent and child. Mm. So I, I think uh, it, it's, it's, an important, it's an important form of interaction to look at because it makes overcoming difficulties, uh, yeah, so much harder. Mm. Mm. And yesterday I, I was working in couples therapy, mm. so not quote-unquote NVR, mm. um, and it struck me how much blaming, mutual blaming, mm. yeah, made life difficult for this couple. Mm. And um, I found principles drawn from NVR and methods really useful, helpful in working with them. So, yeah, I guess that's how the topic came up. And, of course, there is always blaming interaction between couples. I often speak to my clients who are in, you know, in a cycle of blame, mm-hmm. blaming one or another for the for the child's behaviour, or the fact that somebody isn't, you know, one of the parents is dealing with it differently, which counteracts the other parent's attempts to deal with it, and sure. so on. Yeah. yeah. Well. Um, what what comes to mind when you think of parents dealing with the child behavior differently and that leading to blame? How do you mean? What what comes to my mind when? Yeah, yeah. Do you, are you thinking of a particular case, or are you thinking of it in in general as something that comes up a lot in your experience? Yeah, it does come up a lot. Um, I work with many parents who are so complementary to each other's different styles of parenting Mm -hmm. 
in the conflict of what's going on with their child, their young person, they still maintain a really respectful position with each other. Mm-hmm. And the blame isn't a critical blame, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. It's more of, of an yeah. observation. But equally, I have worked with parents where they're not so respectful and the blame mm-hmm. is critical. And that, I think, on top of the efforts a parent is making, then the other partner or parent of the child is criticising and blaming their efforts. Yeah, I think it's like a double whammy, isn't it? It's like yeah. not only is my child presenting in this way, but my partner doesn't see my sense or my logic around when I'm parenting or they're not co-parenting or, yeah, critical and blaming. And, and I guess when we have blame, uh, we have shame. Shame. Fear of shame. So if, if I blame you, uh, you're worried about shame, I guess. Mm. And then maybe you blame me um, in order to avoid your own feelings of shame, which makes me feel worried about shame. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that dance continues. Yes, it, it continues. And we sort of then keep giving each other the message that we don't appreciate the other person, that there's some something wanting in the other person. And, and suddenly the, the child and the issues around dealing with the child seem to be lost. I guess mm. they, they become, they become a, a vehicle of this ongoing escalation. Mm. Yeah. What, so you mean that the parents just begin to start to focus and nitpick each other more than... Yeah, they, they focus on each other and perhaps anticipate um, blame, anticipate a very difficult conversation when they think they need to talk to the other parent, you know, yeah. and perhaps already sort of seize up already expect that there will be counter blame and in the expectation of counter blame they're already thinking of how they blame yeah and before the conversation starts it's already doomed yeah someone you know if i think about interactions i've witnessed someone one of the parents just shuts down and doesn't talk and so because of the fear of being criticized or blamed mm-hmm. so it's just there just is no interaction there's no communication because that person has just shut down so this parent she or he or they um just doesn't communicate at all doesn't talk doesn't talk doesn't talk and because whatever i say won't be heard or valued or respected so therefore i'll say nothing and how does the other parent read that that the parent is a non-communicator, that parent has no input or voice. So there's there's, always, there's an, another layer of criticism. So it, um, it, and, and, and the discourse between there's that in, instinctive, you know, for God's sake, co-parent with me. So there's that the other parent's trying to drag the silent parent in right. with desperation so it becomes a real fruitless struggle between the two of them. Mm. Mm. So 
and in, in the one who shuts down because they anticipate a critical response from the other one triggers just that mm -hmm. an mm -hmm. even more critical response and the other one feels desperate feels yeah. desperate to drag them into some kind of communication and they won't be dragged and and of course then it's very difficult for them to develop parental strength yeah you know and and, and strong positions from which they could resist their child's problematic behavior strong positions from which they could support their child where their child needs support uh, it becomes very diff difficult, and in a sense, each fears being the victim of the other parent. Mm. Mm. So we, we enter into a victim narrative, don't we? Yeah. I guess another aspect of blame in, in NVR, of course, is also the interaction between parent and child, mm. or parent and adult child, you know. We focus a lot on violence and, uh, you know, uh, self self uh, destructive behavior and so forth. But actually, there's so much verbal interaction, um, often subtle, uh, that goes on um, that sours the relationship, and oh. and and sometimes has really massive effects. I was just thinking of um, someone I'm working with who is setting a timeline for their adult son, um, you know, by which time uh, their adult son needs to um, do some some productive work or education or, or something of that nature, if they're going to continue living in the family home. Mm. And the son said, so you're going to make me homeless. Is that what you want to do? Is that what you want to do? So uh, the blame is very powerful. It's like you're saying, well, I, I, I asked the parent, well, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you understand this? How do you read that? So you want to make me homeless. Uh, well, like I'm cruel, I'm uncaring, and it's made me waver, lose my resolve. It's made mm -hmm. me feel uncertain whether I can do this. So mm -hmm. here, the blame has a... Well, it's, it's not a symmetrical escalation. It's not each one trying to counter blame so that they don't get blamed. It's more a case of the younger person's blame controlling their parent mm -hmm. and more of a, of a complementary escalation. Um, and, and so that's very unproductive as well, mm -hmm. you know yet the parents stayed in the conversation trying to turn it around. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to sort of say, but look, all I want is this. And the response was a glare, you know. So there's something about 
I guess, remaining in a doomed conversation mm. that is unproductive and that we can look at from an NVR point of view. Yeah. I get we've all found ourselves in those <laughs> doomed conversations at some point in our lives, haven't we? We've all been there, you know, that, that unhelpful dialogue and feeling that we can't get out of it. So it'd be interesting. It, it's it's familiar to most of us. It's part of the human condition. Mm. You, you call it dialogue, or maybe it's non-dialogue. <laughs> maybe there is, is no real dialogue there, mm. but talking at one another. Yeah. Mm. It's not always easy to find a way to dialogue. I was... Um, and and I was thinking about some ways that can really interrupt blaming interaction. Of course, it requires that at least the person you're working with is aware of it mm -hmm. and is aware of the way in which they become part of that interaction, mm -hmm. either by uh, by trying to counter the blame of the other by blaming and becoming critical themselves or by trying to assuage the other person mm. and ultimately become submissive in some shape or form. Mm. So they, they, I guess they need to, in the first instance, they need to realize that what they're trying to achieve, they're not going to achieve in this conversation, mm. not in this way. I think that that's a starting point, isn't it, uh, yeah. for changing something? Yeah. Yeah. Understanding your logic of control. Yeah. 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 That that you've fallen into some kind of zero sum game. Mm -hmm. And that actually, I guess, the other part of it is, this is important. Hmm. You know, this is. This is what creates the groundswell for a lot of loss of parental authority and strength, uh, if it's between parent and child, for a lot of um, escalation, mm. and ultimately even violence. It feeds into the violence. So it's it's it may seem like a, a small... Um, it might seem like a small thing because, as you said, we're used to it. We're all used to it. Mm. Maybe we think, well, this is just how it is. This is normal. Mm. But maybe we need to denormalize it in mm. our conversations with parents and just say, well, this, this is a big deal. This matters. And explore. I, I, I like to explore what people feel in their bodies mm. when they're in this kind of conversation. And when I think of the the couples therapy session I had the other day, um, one of them said, well, when I'm, when I'm in this kind of conversation, I just feel hunched over forward. My, mm. my shoulders tense up like I'm going into battle. Mm. And so I said, you know, the moment you go into battle, your conversation is doomed. <laughs> You know, because you're trying to understand each other. You're trying to come to a resolution of, of your differences. 
uh, and battle isn't going to do. So however much we're used to it, I think there's a necessary realization that it's unproductive. Mm. Mm. You were talking earlier when we were sort of thinking about solutions, so moving into the interrupting a blaming interaction. Yeah. Um, one of the solutions can be to leave the room. Yeah. But there are many ways of leaving a room. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because um, I've just finished some foundation training with a local authority this week, and we were talking about interrupting blame um, mm -hmm. from a child to a parent and I invited the participants to consider a response to a scenario that I placed with them and one of the participants said yeah you could leave the room and I said oh that's really helpful tell me how how would yeah. you imagine this parent to leave the room just go just leave and I said would the parent say anything no just leave that would give a really clear message to the child and I just invited that participant to think about the presence the parental presence that we were trying to um, describe in this training setting and what where that participant thought the parents presence might be when the parent says to the child I really don't like the way you're speaking to me I'm going to leave the room and I'll come back in 10 minutes yeah so that lovely clear exit strategy that clear communication and as, as you've described, that that bridge, that I will be back so yeah. we can visit this. And if the time isn't right, we can leave it and come back again. And, uh, yeah, and I think the participant was quite shocked that the parent can hold that position but also disrupt the, the blame from the child. The, how is it that the participant was shocked, I wonder, I think her her thoughts for the 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 leaving, you know, the the kind of turning the back, mm -hmm. and the silence, that hostile silence, that, mm. that abandonment almost would give a much clearer message to the yeah. child that the parent wasn't going to tolerate or put up with this kind of this you know tirade of language and abuse, um, and that the shockness was that the parent had another option. There was another yeah. another choice. Was a yeah. different alternative way. Yeah. So that's so interesting because um, leaving the room can have so many different meanings. And I guess the way that this course participant initially saw it was as an aversive strategy. Mm. I've got to do something that is unpleasant for yes. the child, that hurts or upsets the child, mm. stuns the child mm. in some shape or form. And, of course, when the parent silently leaves the room, perhaps with, yeah, I'm just imagining sort of abrupt body language, yeah, then they become a screen that the child can project all sorts of things onto mm. and will probably project some of the worst things onto, mm. you know, um, which in turn will um, 
which in turn will feel threatening mm. to the child. Mm. Even if the child doesn't show it because the child is rude and blaming <laughs> their interaction. But behind that, there's the threat. Yet that bridge building, you know, I'll be back. I'll be back. You know, um, it, it has a reassuring quality. And I'm thinking of part of the understanding of nonviolent resistance being uh, resist harm without doing harm. Yeah. And if I if my body language is abrupt, you know, if I if part of me wants to hit back, mm-hmm. you know, or make the child feel uncomfortable or stunned with my response, in the widest sense, I am doing harm. Yeah. Even if I don't mean to, but I am. So if I build that bridge, I, I interrupt the communication because it's unproductive. And maybe I can't help myself either right now because I'm too upset. Mm. Um, so I interrupt the com- that conversation because it's unproductive and because I don't want us to continue hurting each other. Yeah. Then I make sure that I leave the conversation in such a way as not to hurt the child i guess that needs to be practiced yeah and and that's i think that's key i just made some little notes scribbling while you were talking about we can make choices Mm. and sometimes in the face of aggression or control from another person that we lose sight of that ability that we can make choices yeah independently i don't have to respond or go down a route that is unhelpful and just be drawn into that and then every time there's a a conversation that makes me feel uncomfortable i forget you know not not i personally but you know the person can forget yeah i i tell parents the moment you're uh, engaging with your child's blame, mm. whether you you blame the child who's blaming you, or whether you're trying to justify yourself, mm. um, you've fallen into the rabbit hole. Yeah. And but I guess just staying with this the notion of walking away, but walking away in a certain way, mm. interrupting that conversation in a peaceful way, if you can, in as peaceful a way as you can. I think the other important thing is that we don't end up expecting things from parents that they're not yet able to do. Yeah. So let's say walking away in as peaceful and as connective a way as possible. And some mantras can be helpful. I think the mantra... um, I, I I don't want to end up saying something hurtful. That can be that can be a useful mantra. Mm. Or I want us to be able to have a good conversation. That's why I'm taking a break now. Because often parents also say, "Well, what? Well, what if the child follows?" Right? I think with mantras like that and a peaceful walking away, the child is less likely to follow. 
and scream, don't you walk away. It might still happen. Yeah, it might still happen. It might still happen, but it's less likely. So anything that we can do to de-escalate makes aggression of that nature less likely. So I think those are mantras which can perhaps help parents. They're saying it to their child, but actually they're also saying it to themselves. It can help them take a position which is as peaceful as possible and which may... which may translate into their body language, into their tone of voice, into the volume with which they're speaking, into the words they choose as they interrupt. And then if they come back and it still doesn't work or it doesn't work again, they can say tomorrow's another day. I want us to have good conversations. I want us to have a good relationship right now. It's not working. Tomorrow's another day. We'll deal with it tomorrow. Yeah. And that that bit about I want us to have good conversations, for me, stems back to, it stems from a conversation that I can have with parents about what type of parent do you want to be? What type of partner do you want to be? What type of person do you want to be? Yeah. And most people will choose a position of being caring, supportive, understanding, um, compassionate, these are the people that the parents want to be. And so that mantra of just holding in mind, being the parent I want to be, not how that aggression is going to determine me to respond. And I think that's such a really lovely, it, it creates a lovely gap and shift for parents to to walk away. Yeah, I'm really not getting into this. I'm not going to end up being the parent I want to be. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to end up saying things to my child that I'll regret. Mm. So it's an opportunity for the parent to reconnect with their values as yeah. a parent, which are hard to um, which are hard to be in touch with if you feel erased. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, this conversation could go on forever, couldn't it, really? We could. It could do. I guess we've got to finish at some point. <laughs> it's like, as you're saying that, the erasure, it's like, oh, should we talk about that now? And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole new topic, isn't it? That's a whole new topic, yeah. But, yeah absolutely. Have, have we spoken about erasure yet on this? We've podcast? done it, yeah. We have done a podcast on erasure. Maybe we can revisit yeah. uh, uh, that again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'd be helpful. Helpful. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I think that we've come to a, a nice natural ending on that, mm. that kind of blaming interaction, um, and that it's something we all can get drawn into. Yeah. And for me, there's that reminder of being aware of self, being aware mm-hmm. of one's interaction. What's helpful? Not all help is helpful. What's helpful? What isn't? Having choices. Yeah. Yeah. Holding on to that. Becoming aware of oneself, uh, even in one's body. Mm. Recognizing, aha, uh-huh, this is the dance that I get into again and again and again, and I know exactly where it's going to lead us. And then taking action to interrupt it. Taking action. It's all about MVR, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, thank you, Peter. That was lovely. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Bye.